I'm reading the book of Jude today from the contemporary English version. From Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to all who are chosen and loved by God the Father and are kept safe by Jesus Christ. I pray that God will greatly bless you with kindness, peace, and love. My dear friends, I really wanted to write to you about God's saving power at work in our lives. But instead, I must write and ask you to defend the faith that God has once for all given to his people. Some godless people have sneaked in among us and they are saying, God treats us much better than we deserve. So it's right for us to be immoral. They even deny that we must not obey Jesus Christ as our only master and Lord. But long ago, the scriptures warned that these godless people were doomed. Don't forget what happened to those people that the Lord rescued from Egypt. Some of them did not have faith, and he later destroyed them. You know also about the angels who didn't do their work and left their proper places. God chained them with everlasting chains and is now keeping them in dark pits until the great day of judgment. We should also be warned by what happened to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and the nearby towns. Their people became immoral and did all sorts of sexual sins. Then God made an example of them and punished them with eternal fire. The people I am talking about are behaving just like those dreamers who destroyed their own bodies. They reject all authority and insult angels. Even Michael, the chief archangel, didn't dare to insult the devil when the two of them were arguing about the body of Moses. All Michael said was, the Lord will punish you. But these people insult powers they don't even know anything about. They are like senseless animals that end up getting destroyed because they live only by their feelings. Now they are in for real trouble. They have followed Cain's example and they have made the same mistake that Balaam did by caring only for money. They have also rebelled against God just as Korah did. Because of all this, they will be destroyed. These people are filthy-minded, and by their shameful and selfish actions, they spoil the meals that you eat together. They are like clouds blown along by the wind, but never bringing any rain. They are like leafless trees, uprooted and dead, and unable to produce fruit. Their shameful deeds show up like foam on wild ocean waves. They are like wandering stars forever doomed to the darkest pits of hell. 
Enoch was the seventh person after Adam and he was talking about these people when he said look the Lord is coming with thousands and thousands of holy angels to judge everyone he will punish all those ungodly people for all the evil things they have done the Lord will surely punish those ungodly sinners for every evil thing they have ever said about him these people grumble and complain and live by their own selfish desires they brag about themselves and flatter others to get what they want my dear friends remember the warning you were given by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ they told you that near the end of time selfish and godless people would start making fun of God and now these people are already making you turn against each other they think only about this life and they don't have God's spirit dear friends keep on building the foundation of your most holy faith as the Holy Spirit helps you to pray and keep in step with God's love as you wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to show how kind he is by giving you eternal life. Be helpful to all who have doubts. Rescue any who need to be saved as you would rescue someone from a fire. Then with fear in your own hearts, have mercy on everyone who needs it. But hate even the clothes of those who have been made dirty with their filthy deeds offer praise to God our Savior because of our Lord Jesus Christ only God can keep you from falling and make you pure and joyful in his glorious presence before time began and now and forevermore God is worthy of glory honor, power, and authority. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Well, turn with me in your Bible to the book of Jude, which we've just heard read. It's on page 1027, if you're using one of the Bibles that's here uh, in the back of the seat in front of you. Um, I wanted to start off by today by looking at verse 11. Um, 11 and 12 and in verse 12 there's something that is a starting point for today it says woe to them verse 11 woe to them for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion these are hidden reefs or hidden blemishes at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear it's very interesting, that reference there uh, to the love feast. That's, that's I believe, a, a reference to communion. Uh, in, in the New Testament days, communion was more of a meal. They, they ate together. In the midst of the meal, they would, they would remember the body and blood of Christ. And he said that these false teachers that are introducing this distortion of grace... They're in your midst and they're in your love feasts 
But did you notice what it says? It says, as they feast with you without fear. Without fear. That, that, that phrase catches my attention. They weren't, they had no sense of fear at all when they were partaking in communion. Now, keep your finger in Jude, but go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So on page 958 beginning at verse 17. And first and today we're going to we're going to jump around a little bit today uh, in the scripture but uh, always keep one finger in Jude or if I'm going too many places just listen. Uh, but but 1 Corinthians 11:17 is this famous passage where the apostle Paul gives instructions about the Lord's Supper about communion. It says in verse 17. But in the following instructions I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. There is great, there's a great um, uh, irrespect for one another and for the holiness of, of remembering the death and resurrection of Christ when they met together to eat together. So he's reproving them and then he's giving them instructions about the proper way to take part in the Lord's Supper. And those are the verses that follow that we read every Lord's Supper, every first um, Sunday of, of the month. And then he says something interesting. Skip to verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now what the Apostle Paul is saying is that there in, in Corinth, because of this disrespect the, the, uh, for the, not only the Lord's table, but just for the Lord and for one another, He's saying God was disciplining the people. So they were coming together in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And some of them were weak. Some of them were ill. And believe it or not, some of them had died because of the Lord disciplining them. Sounds to me like there should have been a little fear with the Lord's Supper. Amen? There should have been a little bit of fear going on, a little fear of sin. What are we afraid of? We're, in one sense, it's not a, a cowering fear of God, but it's the idea that we're afraid of sin. I, I'm afraid of sin. And that, that a fear of sin would have been a good thing in Corinth. They would, have, they would have turned from their sin, and then when they came together, 
all would have been right. So now if you go back to Jude, again at verse 12, he's saying these false teachers, they're like hidden blemishes or reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Well, did you know that there are two places in the book of Jude that mention fear? One is right here. It's the false teachers at communion with no fear of sin. And then the second place is in verse 23, where we come up to our fifth commandment. So we look at our banner over here, and we've been taking this step by step. Jude leaves his book off with five commands, and we've worked our way through them. Remember, keep, help, save, and now we're on show. Look at verse 23. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Now here, here it comes. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So here he's saying, we've received mercy, so we're going to show mercy to other people. But we do it, the people that we're showing mercy to are the people that are, they've got themselves all entangled with sin of one sort or another. But we've got to, we don't look at them with a holier than than thou attitude that we're too good for them. No, we're going to show mercy to them because God's shown mercy to us. But as we're showing mercy to them, we've got some fear in us because we're afraid of sin. We don't want the sin that they're wrapped up in to contaminate us, even while we're trying to help. You know, verse 4 again, we keep going back to verse 4, around the middle of that. Verse 4 shows us the, the core of the problem of these false teachers. It says, ungodly people who pervert or distort the grace of our God into sensuality and they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. The, the distortion of grace is you've got the grace of God and therefore you don't really have to be afraid of sin. You don't have to worry about sin so much because God's grace, well, it covers it all. And they were taking it to an extreme and they were, they were just allowing sensuality and rebellion. And Jude is writing and he's saying, this is wrong. We've got to rediscover what grace is. It's true that we don't earn our acceptance with God. Nevertheless, the grace of God still demands that we fear sin. So in verse 23, they say, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. It reminds me where Paul wrote in Romans 12:9. He said, hate, hate what is evil love or cling to what is good. Actually, Christians actually do hate. <laughs> but we don't hate people and we don't hate each other. We, but we hate sin. We hate what is evil. We cling to what is good. The evil, we don't want to touch it. We don't want it to touch us. Yet the people need help. Amen? Are we, are we together so far? Okay. Show mercy with fear. Now, I don't know if you thought of this, but when I was, uh, when I was uh, reading this, I thought of Haggai. Absolutely thought of Haggai. So, turn to Haggai. Do you need the page number for that one? 791. Haggai chapter 2. Haggai is this, uh, this prophet. It's just two chapter prophecies. It's really, really interesting. 
in Haggai, Haggai was speaking to the people of Israel after they had been taken out into exile. Seventy years had gone by, a new generation was there, and God brought the people back into, into the promised land, but the temple had been destroyed, and they lived there for a while, and then God moved, and they began to rebuild the temple, and they got at least the foundation floor down. The temple didn't look anything like it had looked, but at least they had started. And then in chapter 2, verse 10, God, through, through Haggai, says, says this, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat, holy meat would be, you know, they're talking to the priest about the sacrificial, they're making the sacrifices. So there's an animal been dedicated to the Lord and it's sacrificed to the Lord and so they've taken that meat. So it's holy meat. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, so that would be one of the priests of the Levites, and he touches with his fold, so he's, he's got the meat wrapped up in, this, in his garment, and as he's going by somewhere, the fold of his garment, it touches something. He says, it, and it, uh, it touches bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food. Does it become holy? So here's the question. You've got the holy meat. The holy meat touches something else. Does that something else become holy? The priest answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body, so this is a, they're ceremonially unclean, they've had to deal with a dead body, if someone like that touches any of these, does it become unclean? So something that's unclean touches something else, does that something else become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with these, this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. He's saying, you've done well. You've started to get the context. You started to rebuild the temple. This is all good. You're doing the right thing. But there's sin in your life that's not dealt with. There's unconfessed sin in your life. There's sin that you haven't actually repented of. You're unclean. Do you think that because you're working in the church, if you put it in context, that the holy thing is going to make you clean because you're touching it? No. It's going to go the reverse. Because you're unrepentant in your heart, you're making it unclean. So you've got to straighten up. You've got to come clean with me. That's what God's saying in Haggai. You've got to come clean. You've got to confess your sin. And then he, he goes on. Look at 15. Now then consider from this day onward before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord. How did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. This is like in the marketplace. When one came to the wine vat... To draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. 
He said, I've been leaning on you. I've been spoiling the product of your hands. I've been trying to get your attention. That's what's been going on with the hardship in your life. Not every hardship, by the way, is because God's disciplining us. But sometimes he, it is there because he's disciplining us. And that was the case there. So he's saying, you've got to clean yourself up. You've got to come clean before me, he says. I think about Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, where Paul said, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Have mercy, show mercy with fear. A fear of our own sin. Come clean, the prophet Haggai is saying. That God is saying to them, come clean. Come clean. Now in the book of Jude, back to Jude. In this passage that's been read for us. And which I read too, verse 11. There are three areas of sin which contaminate us. And which we must hate which we must be afraid of. And we find them in verse 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, that's the first one, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, that's the second, and perished in Korah's rebellion, there's the third. The way of Cain, Balaam's error, and Korah's rebellion. Now, let's look at these each. And pray that God the Spirit would take our time just looking at this and reminding ourselves of these three Old Testament occurrences and let the Spirit speak to us and say, do I need to come clean, Lord, with you about anything that's being talked about here? First of all, the way of Cain. We don't have to turn, we, we don't have the time to turn exactly to each of these places, but we remember this, it's in, it's in Genesis chapter 4, sin has occurred in chapter 3, and the, Adam and Eve are expelled from the Garden of Eden, and then life goes on, and they have children, they have Cain and they have Abel, and what happens in chapter 4 is that Cain and Abel both came to make an offering to God. And God accepted Abel's gift and he rejected Cain's gift. And Cain didn't like that. And what was his response? Well, there was, there was jealousy. Jealousy in his heart towards his brother. That like, like, why him and not, not me? And then mixed with his jealousy was a willingness to hurt his brother. And so he calls his brother out into the field and kills him. Didn't take long for sin to work its way into the human race, did it? Chapter 3, sin starts. Chapter 4, we're killing each other. And so it, so it goes on to today. The scriptures mention Cain in four different books. Genesis, Hebrews, here in Jude, and in 1 John. And in these passages, Cain is depicted as the first murderer and the first willful unbeliever. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. There's jealousy. And then there's a willingness to hurt somebody. 
So I got to ask the question of you and of myself. I've asked this of myself this week. But now I ask you, are you jealous of someone? Now, don't answer too quick. Sometimes jealousy hides itself. Sometimes jealousy kind of hides, hides in the bushes. Deer season is coming up. It starts tomorrow. And for those of us who do that, you know how sometimes the deer is right there, but you cannot see it. Jealousy can be right there, and yet you don't see it. Are you jealous of someone? And do you hurt people? That's another question. Do you hurt people? And you can hurt people in various ways. You can strike them. There can be a physical hurt. And can also be, you can hurt people with your, with your mouth, with, with how you speak. Come clean. What God's saying to Haggai is you should be afraid of this. This jealousy lurking in your heart, you should be afraid of that. You should be afraid of the, the fact that you would, you would hurt someone. Come clean with God and, and say, Lord, cleanse me. Cleanse me. I, I turn away from that. The way of Cain. Then there's Balaam's error. Verse 11. Ba- Balaam's error. Now, this story takes a lot of chapters in the scripture. If you want to read it, you go to Numbers later and begin reading in chapter 22. And you read chapter 22, 23, and 24. And then you think you're at the end of the story, but you're actually not. Because he pops up again in chapter 31. So really, you're going to have to read chapters 22 to 31 in numbers to get this story. But what happened was this, that the Moabites were getting afraid of the Israelites. So the Israelites are moving in and the Moabites are afraid of them. So they hire this wise man. Uh, they wouldn't have called him a witch doctor, but he's kind of a, he's this spiritual guy that can, can bring curses on people that have power or blessing. So they hire him. The Moabites rent, let's get Balaam. And they hire Balaam, so there's money involved. They bring him up on a big high place. And this is actually, the story is actually kind of humorous. It's kind of funny. So he brings Balaam, they bring Balaam up, the king does, and he oversees this valley and he sees all this massive army and the people of Israel. And the, and the guy says, okay, now curse him. And, he, and then he, 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 he starts to curse him and he blesses Israel. And the king says, what are you doing? I asked you to curse him. He says, well, I can only do what God above says I can do. He was upset. He just lost his money. So he says, okay, well, we're going to go up on another mountain. They go up on another mountain. He pays them more money. And he says, now curse him. And he, he blesses Israel. He's like, what are you doing? He tries a third time. He brings him to another mountaintop. And he says, now look, here's the money. Curse those guys. He blesses them. It's like, I can't help it. I can only do what God says to do. And the guy, the king's tearing his hair out and all this. And you think the story is done. But it wasn't done. Because what happened was the Moabites said, well, stick with us. Just hang out with us. And let's mosey up alongside the Israelites. And so Balaam goes and he hangs out in the border between the Moabites and the Israelites and he befriends the Israelites and then he entices them, the Israelite men, with the Moabite women 
And pretty soon, there's all kinds of sexual sin going on between the Israelites and the Moabites. And, he, and it's all, in Balaam's, from Balaam's viewpoint, it's all for the money. He's been, you see what it says there in, in uh, verse 11? And abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Money was involved and an indulgence in sexual sin. Money and sexual sin. Greed. Greed and um, sexual sin. Now it's possible, and we don't know this, but it's quite possible, isn't it, that Balaam himself is being amazed. I'm going over here to curse him, and God overrules, and I end up blessing him. Three times. It's not a stretch of the imagination to think this. While he's hanging around with the Israelites, he's saying, you know, you guys are protected. You guys are just protected completely by the grace of God. Hey, you see those women over there? You know, have at it. Because you guys are protected. It's amazing. Like I've cursed a bunch of people. But I couldn't curse you guys. It, God turned my curses into blessings. See those women over there? And that's the error that Jude is talking about. It's the grace of God has been distorted. You're forgiven? Don't worry so much about the sin. That's verse 4 of Jude. But what Jude is saying is that that's not real grace. Grace provides forgiveness, but grace also provides the strength on the inside to not sin, to turn away from sin. Grace never gives us uh, permission to sin easily or, or to not be afraid of sin. By the way, the end wasn't so good for Balaam or those Israelites or the Moabites. As you read later, Balaam's story ends when they find his body in the battlefield with a sword struck through him. He, judgment came on Balaam and those that followed him. But let's think of these two areas. Greed. Greed and sexual sin. Greed is another one of those things that can hide in the bushes. In Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13, it reads, Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, on the surface, this looks perfectly okay, right? Uh, we're brothers. There's an inheritance. It should be divided. It looks like a legit request. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He says, in, an, in another version, it says, be careful of every form of greed. Greed can show up in so many ways inside of our hearts. So, so many ways. It's a heart issue. 
Two brothers can be dividing the inheritance and there's no greed going on at all. Two other brothers are dividing the inheritance and there's greed in the heart. It, greed is not necessarily seen by the action so much so as by what's going on, the motives on the inside. And those motives, God needs to keep cleansing us and changing us. Greed. It's a heart issue. And then there's sexual sin. Listen to what God said through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, 6. The body, meaning the physical body, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Again in verse 4 of Jude. It says, They pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. There's just a, a, feed, a permission. They've given themselves permission to feed and express their sexual desires without borders, and without boundaries. And that's not the way God has made us to be. Now, as I've mentioned this morning, greed and sexual sin. Has God convicted you? Is there in, in your life, in either of those cases... There's something in your life that you need to come clean with, with God. You need to, you need to say, this, it's not enough for me uh, to be involved in holy things. I've got the holy meat, but it's not making me holy. I'm contaminating it. Well, you can come clean today. But let's go on first. To the third the, the, the third area of sin that contaminates us and we should be fearful of. And that is, it says... Korah's rebellion. Now this is really interesting. Korah's rebellion. Korah was a Levite. So he was in the, he was in the tribe of Israel that tended to the temple. They were involved in temple stuff. But a subgroup of the Levites were the descendants of Aaron and they were the priests. So Korah was a Levite but he was not a priest. Okay. But Korah gets it under his skin that he's not, he doesn't quite like being bossed around by Moses and Aaron. And he doesn't like this. And at one place, his story is in Numbers 16, by the way, if you want to read the whole thing. Numbers 16. He got a rebellion going on. He got about 250 other guys and they're like, they're like, we're not going to, we, we don't like Moses being over us. And they said this, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? That's only one place. There are other places where it records what he said. He's just rebelling against the uh, people that God has put over, over him. And he's, in essence, he's rebelling against God. He's refusing to accept the authority structure that God's put him in. 
And the interesting thing about this is that they themselves were already blessed. Korah was a Levite. He was already able and, and permitted to do things and serve in the temple in ways that most of Israel could not do. They were not allowed. He was already privileged. But that wasn't enough. He wanted what God had not given him. That's what he wanted. He wanted that other thing. And so they rebelled. And it didn't, it didn't work out well for them either. This is the story where the earth opened up and they went in and everybody else said, I think Moses is the guy. <laughs> We're going to follow Moses. And so I have to ask you, as I've asked myself, are you rebelling in any way against the limits that God has put on you? Are you refusing to follow what God is telling you? There's, 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 this, there's just this rebellion piece of it all. But, but the grace of God, the fact that he's forgiven us through Christ, doesn't mean that we just get to keep asserting our will and not being content with what... What God has given us. And I'm not ta taking anything away from a godly ambition to keep working and seeing what God does in our life. And all of that is not a total passivity. But it's, it's a heart issue of I'm okay with where God has put me and what he's, where the authority is above me. And I'm going to live for God where he's put me. The way of Cain. Jealousy and a willingness to hurt others. Balaam's error, greed, and sexual sin. Korah's rebellion, a refusal to accept the God-given authority of others and actually to accept the authority of God. Into this picture, we have this fifth command. Show mercy with fear. Show mercy with fear. And what struck me as I thought about this all week was that that little phrase ties together the correction that Jude is making to the distortion of grace. The distortion is grace is there, don't have to worry about sin. The truth is we have received mercy and we're employing ourselves in showing mercy to other people. And they're out there. And their lives are all mixed up in all kinds of sin. But that we don't stay away from them. We go. We show mercy. But with fear. There's grace. You get it? That's grace rediscovered. I'm still afraid of sin. I'm, I still hate sin. I don't want it to contaminate me. It can contaminate me. But I've received mercy and I'm going to show mercy. Amen? That is grace rediscovered. And when we think of it, that is what we saw on the cross. Jesus Christ came and showed mercy on us by dying in our place. But that sin had to be dealt with. God isn't a grandfather. And boy, can I relate to that now. Our little granddaughter is with us this weekend. I almost didn't come to church. <laughs> oh man, it's just so fun. You know, they make little, little, little blips of rebellion here and there. And now nah, whatever. You know, it's, she's cute. But that's not God. <laughs> 
And, and if, in big things, I'm sure I wouldn't say it that way. But God doesn't just say, ah, whatever. That's what the cross is about. Is Jesus came and the sin had to be dealt with. And so it was dealt with on the cross. But in that dealing with the sin is mercy and grace. But now, we've received the mercy. There's still sin and temptation. Fear it. Amen? In conclusion to all this, let's turn back to Haggai. So Haggai, chapter 2, 792. And we'll pick up the story. He had told us, he had told them what he told them. We read that already, but now in verse 18, he keeps going. Haggai 2, 18. Consider from this day forward, from this day onward, and then he names the date, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Amen? What he's saying, I believe, is this. He, he knew. They started this work. That was good. It was the right step. But now God's saying, wait a minute. Before you go on, I need you to come clean with me in your heart. Come clean. That good work is not going to sanctify you. You've got, you're going to contaminate it. Come clean with me. And he knew, because he's God, they were going to come clean. They're going to respond. And he says, now, from this day onward, I'm going to remove the discipline that I put on you. I had been disciplining you. Now I'm taking it off. From this day onward, you're coming clean from this day onward. On this date, mark it down. From this day on, you're good. Let's go forward. Amen? So friends, what do you need to come clean with God about? From this day onward, you can do it now. You can ask God's cleansing now. You can, you can come clean now. And God will be saying, from this day onward, from the 25th day of the 11th month of the year 2018, from this day onward, now, I'm going to bless you. Because you're, you're repenting. You're, you're coming clean with me. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are holy. And we come to you. We've been reminded by Jude of your judgment, but also of your mercy. He weaves the two together. And that is who you are. <clears throat> Help us now, Father. We come to you with our own sin and, and, and say, Okay, Lord, now, on this day, I reject that sin. I claim the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse me from this sin. And I ask a new filling of the Spirit that you might lead me on. Lead us onward, O Lord, from this day onward. May this be the day that we leave sin behind. Father, we thank and praise you and worship you.
for you indeed are holy. In Jesus' name, amen.